is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Al Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry tonight. For the last several weeks, I've been preaching a series of sermons that I've been calling Getting a Grip. It actually started on the golf course when I was trying to grip the golf club. I realized I was gripping it incorrectly and worked to make it correct. And I thought this would make a good series of sermons. Tonight's topic is getting a grip on hard times. Next week, we'll be talking about getting a grip on marriage. I hope the message will be meaningful as well as the music. Again, welcome to your participation in this ministry. Let me now read the scripture lesson. It comes from Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah, his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the lands of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. 
I gave Esau the hill country of Sierra to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me now, please, for prayer? Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in the eighth grade, I weighed about 80 pounds and played third-string quarterback for the LaGrange High School B team. I kept thinking if I did my best, which I did, that the next year when I was in the ninth grade, I would move up to perhaps the second string or even the first string quarterback. Was I right? No, I was wrong. My ninth grade year, I continued to play third string quarterback on the B team. Do you have any idea how disappointed and frustrated I was with that? I wondered this day as to whether that coach knew what he was doing or not. But that's not the only situation in my life that I've been perplexed or disturbed about. There have been many situations that that has occurred. When I wanted to say, I just don't understand this, I don't get it, why did this happen? And I suspect that's also true of you. Hard times are simply a reality. The doctor says, I have a bit of sad news. Then we have someone else, a young person says, I wish my family was all here. An employer comes in and says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to eliminate your job. A policeman says, I'm sorry, he just didn't make it in the accident. And so it goes on and on. How do we get a grip on hard times? God says in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that when we go through situations where we do not understand our hard times. It helps us to understand. There's an interesting passage in Joshua that speaks to this. Joshua is giving his final address to his people, the Israelites, and he gave them a review of history. So I want to read that to you again so that you'll understand. Again, we're reading the 24th chapter, beginning at the second verse this time. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the, beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Now, most of this is understandable, except this line, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. As a matter of fact, it's very understandable. God blessed these people. He chose Abraham. He picked him up, and he made Abraham serve him and him alone, took him to Canaan. That was the gift of Isaac, which was a wonderful gift. And the promise continued. The people prospered and multiplied, and everything went well. Then there was Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, this is something that's hard to figure. Most of the time, the promise went through the elder son. But in this case, it went through the youngest son, Jacob. So what happened to Esau was he got Seir, he and his people, 
And Jacob, surprisingly, was sent down to Egypt, away from the promised land, closer to slavery. So if Jacob had just gotten Seir, it would have been much better for him. But he got Egypt. So why did Jacob get the short end of the stick? He and his family. We don't understand. We have to go back to the words of Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. As I said, we have to keep that in our minds if we are going to try to understand things that happen to us that we're not sure about, things that go awry to what we think. So how do we get a grip on hard times? Now, what I want to do for a few minutes tonight, I want us to take a look at these hard times. And I want us to see, though, that even though we don't like hard times, there are peculiar blessings that come to us in hard times. For instance, first of all, hard times produce steel in our souls. Hard times produce steel in our souls. In describing the hard times of Jacob and his family down in Egypt, the writer of Exodus says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You remember this story. In the midst of their persecution, the Israelites grew and grew and grew. As a matter of fact, they grew so large in number that they scared the wits out of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh decreed that all the male babies would be put to death. All the Hebrew male babies. So that didn't look like it was going to be too bad, but his plot was spoiled. Instead, the Hebrews produced more and more babies as a sign of their great trust in the future. The Israelites' adversity was no match for their tenacity. I want to say that again. That's significant. The Israelites' adversity was no match for their tenacity because their hard times put steel in their souls. Remember the great theologian Pauli in Rocky III? Clever Lang is again knocking the stuffings out of Robert of Balboa. And Mickey screams, he's killing him, he's killing him. But then Paulie takes the mic, puts his arm around this person and said, he's not really doing him bad, he's only making him mad. That's what hard times can do for us. One of the blessings is it makes us get mad. And mad means the ability to make decisions quickly. Now the Bible makes it abundantly clear that everybody's going to have hard times. God's people are not. Everybody is going to have hard times. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, courage, I have overcome the world. When Jesus puts these two things together, hard times and his victory, we begin to understand that God is going to triumph over all hard times. God is going to triumph in our hard times, through our hard times, over our hard times, under our hard times, against our hard times, instead of our hard times. God is going to triumph through all of our hard times. And Paul dares to say the same thing in Romans. Listen to this from the fifth chapter. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, hard times, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Abraham Lincoln was down on his knees, He thought of Christ in Gethsemane. He said, I'm in my Gethsemane. But it didn't stop Abraham Lincoln. He didn't quit. And consequently, the new government grew closer to being a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Hard times put steel in Abraham Lincoln's soul. 
Now, beloved, we don't go out looking for hard times. Nobody wants hard times. But even in the midst of hard times, if we look, we can find blessings. For instance, hard times broaden our viewpoint. There was a fellow by the name of Ellie Miller. He was 60 years of age, and he died of prostate cancer. But he told his minister before he died, the greatest thing that had ever happened to him next to knowing Christ was getting prostate cancer. His doctor asked him, how could that possibly be? He said, because it has given me perspective. He said, when I was a child, I gave my life to the Lord, but I didn't give myself to his cause to work for the eternal things. But he said, now I realize when God showed me how precious life was, how precious my life was and is, how important it is to lay up those things in the heavens. Hard times tell us who we are. Hard times will always remind us that we cannot make it by ourselves. Hard times will help us to understand that those things we heard in Sunday school are true. Hard times will help us realize that a shallow faith will never make it through hard times. And then hard times will make us more sensitive, will make us more sensitive. You know the movie regarding Henry. Harrison Ford was a terrible lawyer, mean lawyer, who got shot in the head. But later, he came to understand that he was fallible, gentle, and kind. That's what hard times can do for you. They can open your eyes to the fact that you can be different. I'll give an example. When we have an operation or disease, and a friend of ours gets the same thing later, what makes us want to go to the phone and call this person and let them know that we're thinking about them and we understand their situation. It has to do with these hard times. Hard times make us more sensitive. But the thing I want you to remember is hard times put steel in our souls. And then secondly, hard times make prayer more urgent. Hard times makes prayer more urgent. When slavery became so real for these Israelites, they cried out for God. They cried out in a much more serious way than ever before. The writer of Exodus says, After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. Now the Israelites groaning, seems a long sea mile from some of the flippant prayers that we hear people praying today. For instance, good morning, God. Great day, isn't God? God is was reading. I want you to think about C.S. Lewis' uh, book, The Screwtape Letters. In that book, the enemy, Screwtape, is writing his son, Wormwood, and he's instructing him about how to deceive people. And he says, listen, once those people get to praying, you have to interrupt them no matter what because prayer is lethal to our cause. Sometimes we forget to remember that God is interested in us become praying people. God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray not only out of our heads and our habits, but he wants us to pray out of our hearts. And Jeremiah the prophet got it right when he said, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. You will find me. So we need to remember that prayer is critical to our lives, period. A bishop was once asked by a student this question, how do you take care of your concerns? He said, I simply worry God a lot. I talk to him all the time. What is prayer? Prayer is when we simply get honest with God. 
We talk with God. We share with God. We come with no pretenses before God. We come to God in all honesty. We come to God in dependence, completely dependent upon Him. You know, sometimes hard times will cause us to have difficult problems. For instance, here's a, a parent or parents having trouble with their teenagers. They do all they can to help their teenagers, but for some reason they can't seem to do it, and their teenagers continue on a bad path. Then here's a marriage. A marriage is struggling for its very existence. Counseling does not help. They've come to the end of the rope. Then there is the storm that's coming, the major storm that's going to cause so much damage, so much damage. Hard times, hard times will bring us to the situation where we have to think and discern the importance of prayer. Hard times remind us of how important and serious prayer is. Back in 1966, I came down with infectious hepatitis and was in the hospital for three weeks. That was a long, long time. I had just finished reading David Wilkinson's book, The Cross and the Switchblade, where he had lifted up all of these fleeces before God, and God had answered his prayer. Well, I decided maybe I should lift up a fleece before God. For people who have hepatitis, there's a test called the bilirubin. The normal for a person is zero to one. My bilirubin had gone to 15. And after three weeks, it had finally come down to 3.2, but it seemed to be holding. So my wife and I were in the hospital that Sunday night, and I said to her, why don't we lift up a fleece before God? I said, we have two. The Bible says where there are two or three gathered together. We also have faith. If we say to this mountain, remove, and have faith, the mountain will move. I said, why don't we lift up this fleece and just say that my Billy Rubin test will be normal by Wednesday. This is Sunday. Plenty of time for God to do his thing. Well, on Monday morning, the doctor came in and he said, Hal, you're looking a lot better. I thought, man, this is really working. He said, you're just looking so much better. I said, well, that's good because I'm going home on Wednesday. He said, I don't think I would put a limit on it. Well, on Tuesday morning, the doctor came in. He said, Hal, you're not looking so good today. Well, I'm going to tell you, my faith began to struggle. I prayed for pure faith all that day, the faith that would move a mountain. I prayed as hard as I knew how, and I was exhausted. Wednesday morning, the doctor came in, and he said, Hal, I'm going to let you go home. But I said to the doctor, I said, what's my Billy Rubin test? And he said, it's still not normal. It's now 2.2. It had been 2.3. It was 2.2 and holding. I said, I can't go home. That was not the deal. All that day, I kept struggling with my faith. What had gone wrong? I thought I had prayed the way I should have, but everything seemed to have gone wrong. My prayer was not answered. But after I had just been so frustrated in the bed that day, it finally dawned on me, I had been praying for my will to be done, not God's will to be done. Well, in a few days, my Billy Rubin was back to normal. But the point of telling you this is to tell you that my prayers became much more intense and serious when I was praying out of those hard times. You know, the other day, a friend of mine's wife was in hospice. She had a terminal illness. So I went to see my friend and his wife. As a matter of fact, I went to see them more than once. She died a few weeks later. And a few weeks after that, I got a note from the family. I'm not going to read you all of this. I'm just going to read you a couple of sentences. 
just listen. Dear Reverend Brady, the entire family joins me in thanking you for your hospital visits to my mother during her illness. She enjoyed the visits and especially the prayer times. Again, hard times make prayer more urgent. The late bishop, that was one of our late bishops who decided, his name was Earl Hunt, he decided during his days of seminary that he had lost his faith and he prepared to leave. So as he was preparing to leave, he suddenly realized he didn't have any money. He didn't have a ticket anywhere and he didn't know where to go. All he knew was he had lost his faith. He discovered that David had not written the Pentateuch. Moses had not written all the Pentateuch. He discovered there was a school of Isaiah. He discovered all kinds of things that he wondered about. But he had lost his faith in the process. But since he couldn't go anywhere, he went to see the dean of the school. The man's name was Dean Henry Tremble. Dean Tremble listened to him tell his story. He listened intently. And finally, when Bishop Hunt had finished his story, remember he was a student, the dean said, Earl, what about your prayer life? No matter what kind of hard times we're going through, the question always comes back to the same. What about our prayer lives? And then thirdly, hard times heighten our testimony, our witness. These people who were delivered by God at the Red Sea, I'm talking about the Israelites, they never got over the experience. And they kept on talking about it. It became a part of their faith heritage. And God wanted them to tell the church about what had happened to them. And we find it in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter and the 20th verse. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, this was the message that they were supposed to tell their children. It's the same message we're supposed to be telling our children and grandchildren today. Do you know, I think really that the reason that the African Americans in this country today have gained freedom and are gaining freedom has a lot to do with the Hebrew testimony the testimony of the Hebrews concerning their faith and trust in the God of deliverance. Let me ask you, what have been the songs that the African Americans have sung during the years? The spirituals. What were the spirituals about? God's deliverance of the Israelites during times of when they were held in bondage and other times God being with them. And people have always thought that this God of love and mercy and justice was going to do it again. The African Americans thought he was going to do it again. Now let me tell you, if there is such a great testimony to the Hebrews and to the God of the Hebrews, what kind of testimony do we have to Jesus Christ? I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of salvation, of forgiveness, of hope, of strength, all of those things. If you're a Christian, you have a witness to Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian in hard times, you have a greater witness to Jesus Christ. There was a book written by a lady by the name of Coritin Boom called The Hiding Place. This was a statement she made. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's important for us to remember. 
I have a friend, he's a Methodist minister, actually a district superintendent, who told me that his wife went blind for four months. And then one morning she suddenly was able to see again. He said what tremendous joy they experienced. He said the church that he had served before becoming a superintendent had been so good to him. He was just so grateful for what that church had done. But when he finished telling me this story, I said, man, that'll preach. And he said, as a matter of fact, since I've become a district superintendent, I've been preaching it to all the churches. He was sharing his testimony with all the churches of how God, through Jesus Christ, had cured his wife's blindness. There was a Russian novelist who was in a Soviet prison camp. This Russian novelist said that he had reached the end of the rope. He wanted to die. He said he was working 20 hours every day. He was sick. He didn't have any food. And so he just decided that he was going to stop working. He knew what that meant. He was not going to shovel any more sand in the sun. He knew what that meant. The guards were going to come and beat him and maybe kill him. And as far as he was concerned, that was perfectly all right. He was ready to die. But he said when he put down his shovel, he saw a man walking toward him, another prisoner, and he knew him to be a Christian. The man limped up to him on a cane, and he simply drew a cross in the sand with his cane, and then he erased it quickly. That Russian novelist said, all the hope of the gospel flooded my mind. I had new strength and new hope. And he said, the sign of the cross was given to me that day by a witness of the cross. The sign of the cross was given by a witness of the cross. So in hard times, there are some strange, peculiar blessings. Still in our soul, we understand prayer as more urgent, and our testimony is enhanced. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this day. We're thankful that you're with us in hard times. We don't want the hard times, as you know, but when they come, help us, O oh God, to be ready for them in your strength. And then help us, O oh God, to find the blessings even in hard times. We thank you for those who are within the sound of my voice, and we pray that you'd bless them, each one, meet them at the point of their need, be they a family, an individual, someone in a hospital room, someone in a nursing home, someone wherever they are. Bless them and strengthen them and assure them of your love and ours. Thank you again for this time together. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us tonight, and I pray that you'll continue to, to join us and we thank you. Good night.